0: expanded. This is Mike McDonald, back with our third edition. Hope you didn't mind the um, comedic and sarcastic uh, opening to the uh, uh, the piece today. Uh, sort of my way of getting through the nonsense that I just saw. Uh, even though I, we should be used to uh, these uh, nonsensical performances off the back of one that's really rather good. Anyhow... Cracking on, I want to start with the sliding doors moment of the game. Looking back, I thought that um, the sliding doors moment of this particular game against Fulham was the uh, opportunity that Martinelli took that Tobias probably should have. We were particularly dominant in that opening period, and yet again, I found that Arteta had set us up uh, very well, given us. The encouragement, the impetus to start quickly, been wanting that all season and um, put us in good positions uh, and the players have put themselves in good positions. And there were many players in the box on that particular attack when Martinelli hit it and it was blocked on the line. But Sabias was facing the goal. I'm sure that's a 70, 80 percent opportunity there for Sabias, And I think that that would have swung the game. I really do. I think if we score there whilst we're on top, maybe get a second one off the back of the uh, uh, the three and six minutes on Thursday, I think the players would have been in that mode. I think that was the sliding doors moment of the game. And there were others. There were certainly other opportunities for sure that we could have converted. But I think that one would have swung it. I'm going to pick out one positive that I wrote about in my piece, but just expand on that. Uh, talking about Granite Xhaka, uh, I've been a little reticent to compliment Granite Xhaka in recent times. Just the pain of uh, complimenting him and then wanting to chuck him in the bin the next week, I suppose, is where I've been at. So just wanted to quietly step back into the world of complimenting Granite Xhaka. But you know, this has been at least a month of extremely solid performances and I read a a tweet earlier, I forget who it was was from, maybe um, Martin Wingro, who was talking about uh, how uh, we're lucky to have Xhaka. And I almost sat back and thought, lucky? I've never felt lucky to have Granite Xhaka. But honestly, I think uh, he might be right there. Uh, He certainly offers us something that's absent when he's not. Um, So there's that. And then certainly his performances, his attitude is flexibility to play left-back when we desperately need a left-footed left-back and the fact that he's very good at it as well. And I know he hasn't had a fast player running at him, but I think it's also fair to say that everybody has their strengths and weaknesses and when he does, Arsenal will have to take responsibility for helping him take care of that because he's just not capable of uh, keeping up with some of the fastest ones. But there's also the tactical point that you can close them down before their wheels start spinning. So I expect Granite Xhaka to uh, do better than people think in that regard. What I also wanted to mention in regards to Granit Xhaka is the future. I think he will stay. I think he will likely sign another contract. And um, the piece that maybe folks are not talking about is the leadership at the club. You know, there's a handful of the leaders that could leave. In fact, all of the leaders at Arsenal could potentially leave this summer. You know, you're looking at David Luiz, uh, Bellerin. Who looks like he's out the door. Uh, Lacazette there's of course a maybe 50-50 or greater than 50-50 chance that Lacazette leaves and then Aubameyang of course who is the captain I've got a feeling the club are going to attempt to move him on. Just a feeling and so even if let's say two or three of those guys move on we've got um, somewhat of a lack of leadership but at least perceived leadership and then I spin it around the other way and think to myself, if all those guys left, including Granite Jacker, could we not lean into the new generation? The player that everybody wants as captain, which is Kieran Tierney, would be an easy one. But there's there's a list, and I've I've written them down here, so I didn't forget. But you've got players like Bern Leno and Rob Holding, Pablo Mari, who I think has great potential leadership. Um, Possibilities. Thomas Party. He's been around the game for a long time. Not sure if he's a vocal leader, but they don't always have to be. Um, so you've got a list here of of five players that, if you removed the current leaders from the team, will probably feel empowered to step up. Um, and so I'm not overly concerned. I do think Gra- Granite Jacker will get the um, the contract, and I'm cool with it now. I'm cool with it. Um, I. Don't want it to be at the expense of an athletic modern midfielder coming in. I don't think it will be anyway. Okay, with the needs, I've got two that I wanted to pick out of the piece today and just uh, expand on. The first one, I talk about setting the play versus versus the, um, the counter-attack, the fast break. And uh, those terms I know are not familiar with everybody and you know in coaching circles we talk about these things and and sometimes because again as i mentioned in the piece the the punditry is so 1990s you don't get to necessarily know the terms that um, that are happening in the coaching circles these days and setting the play is often when the ball is going forward into the opponent's half particularly in the final third and a player will step forward to receive a forward pass And then pass it backwards. Either straight back or at an angle. And that gives everybody a chance to get into their different lanes. And and lanes of attack. That's something for another day. But it gives everybody an opportunity essentially to get where they need to be. Um, And there's value there. There's value there. Because if you've set something up. Be it in football. uh, Basketball or any sport. Then you can execute it. If everybody's in position. So I don't take that away. My um, dilemma is putting that on the scales next to the opportunity to counter-attack when the other team is unbalanced they don't have their players in the positions that they want to have and the longer that you wait to keep moving forward and the more sideways or even just one sideways or backwards pass how that can just hinder the opportunity for you to play maybe four against three um, three against two on a team that is completely out of position and, and just having to improvise. And when I put those on the scales, personal choice, I can't see that there's a benefit to waiting to set the play, get everybody where you want them to be, yet giving the other team a chance to become structured. I personally would rather go with um, our structure that we have, the Miklark Tetra's put in place is good. It's actually great at certain times, but versus an unstructured Fulham, for example, yesterday, as they are trying to recover, I would rather play in that in that more unstructured way and take advantage. The other need that I wanted to pick up on is I talked about Gabriel Martinelli and him evolving into uh, finding easier opportunities to use his assets in regards to him on the left wing. What I was thinking about and I've mentioned it for those of you who read regularly is I personally think that the easiest way to score a goal in football is uh, a penalty kick. Um, Because you get given them for anything that happens in that box whether you're facing north, south, east or west and uh, the penalty box as I call it is an ice rink. Everybody is super, super careful on their tiptoes and you make the slightest contact as we saw with Lamina and, you know, he who was probably um, going through with a limited opportunity to score gets an 80% chance to score. And you can you could be facing completely the, the wrong way on the side of the box, facing out with no chance of scoring. At best, you've got a cross, which is maybe a 5-10% chance to score. You fall over and you get a penalty kick. So I think that the easiest way to score is a penalty kick. And so how do you get a penalty kick? Well, if you've got a player as quick as Martinelli, who can get um, a three or four yard edge on his full back by pushing it past him, if he can get in the box, cut him off, completely cut him off with his body, and then the key is to slow down. If you slow down after you've cut them off, you don't have to dive. They'll just run into you. And I know this because my team does this all the time, much to the chagrin of uh, all the opponents, coaches who dislike me for it. But I figured it out. And I see in Martinelli, the perfect player to do that. And he's quite good at left-footed crosses, to be fair. He's good at cutting in and he'll score goals, cutting in and shooting. It's not always necessary to do that. But boy, is that... um, effective as you've gone and taken a situation that may be a 25% chance you know, for you to score as he cuts in and turned it into an 80% chance. On my final thought, whew, gosh, the Super League. That came quickly at us today and off the back of that result, that wasn't a fun read. Uh, I'm sure you've read a million opinions, so have I. Uh, And my piece on it was extensive, uh, so I don't want to just uh, waffle on, but I would say that the reality of a Super League, what they're trying to give us is, let's just grab a, a game, Barcelona versus Juventus. I've seen Barcelona play Juventus for about 20 years, or a similar game, you know, PSG versus Bayern Munich, or... Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid. There's not a whole new list of teams that they've hidden in a closet that they're going to bring out who are better than these guys that we've been waiting to see this higher level. We're just going to see what we've always seen. And I know that the argument may be there's more of those games and less of the smaller games. Uh, but again, I, I put everything on the scales and I think there's absolutely no way that seeing a few more of those games is worth diluting your national teams, your domestic leagues, uh, ruining the largest percentage of football clubs in your country whose um, financial gains have just fallen by the wayside. And so obviously it's greed, it's power. We're seeing it everywhere in the world. It's unfortunately very unsurprising. And I was actually not as taken aback as maybe some only because it just feels like yet another punch to the gut Uh, and we're living in a world I think where we're getting one after another after another they tend to blend in and I hate that finally what's next last piece I think what's next for Arsenal is the centre forward choice we've got to make a decision right so we've got to make a decision we've got lots of options and some of them are bold um if Lacazette is out, and of course if Aubameyang cannot play in the next you know, week or two or three, then uh, my choice, choice would be Martinelli. I love Saka on the right and Pepe on the left, and that is starting to swing. So uh, having those two out wide and having uh, Martinelli in the middle, I think terrifies the opponent. And of course that maybe brings Erdogan back, back of the team, opens a spot up for him. Uh, So I would go with Martinelli and I would bring Balogun onto the bench to start introducing him. And I think this has given us that opportunity that I and many others have been pining for, which is we don't want to have to wait until June to figure out if this new shiny toy that we think we want to buy is a guy that we really want to buy because we've got these two other shiny toys, Martinelli and Balogun, who are already at the club, who may be as good as if not better. So this is a perfect opportunity, even though Lacazette was playing well in the team structure. But it's given us that opportunity to see for next season, certainly in the Premier League games. Of course, in Europe, we just have to hope that it works. Um, Now, there's other choices. I do think that Eddie will be gone in the summer, and I'm for that. Um, I was actually encouraged with him today. I tried to not... um, go overboard with the fact that he had a heavy touch on one of his opportunities and he lifted the goalkeeper Well, two heavy touches and lifted the ball way too high of the goalkeeper. I put that down to the fact that he hasn't played much football and that's the first thing that you lose when you haven't played much is your touch. Uh, I just love the fact that he was alive and the last few times I've seen him I haven't seen that uh, as much and the dynamism I saw in his diagonal runs into the box and his willingness to try and win the game for Arsenal Um, and that desire was what I'm looking for and I think you you keep putting yourself in those situations as your uh, touch comes back uh, the goals will come so he's still an option and let's be honest he's not a bad option he's a good option he might not be the optimal choice but the lad can still score goals if he's given opportunities he's just not got all the tools in his box. Um of course there's the the thought that we could change to the the Manchester City false nine or no striker, strikerless situation. You've got Saka who could play as a false nine or or in a strikerless situation you've got Smith Rowe play everywhere else. I'm sure he can do that too. Um and then Pepe, Pepe's an interesting one because Pepe's best quality for me is actually He's finishing. He's more accurate than most. And I've always wanted to see him in central spaces. So there you go. I've given six options. I've probably forgotten one, but Martinelli, Balogun, Eddie, Saka, Smith-Rowe and Pepe, that somehow, some way could replace Lacazette um, if Aubameyang is not ready to be back. Hey, thanks for reading my piece. And certainly thank you for, for listening in to PNH Expanded. Cheers.